Good morning, everybody out there. It's Friday, May 26th. Welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Eric Jackman, and I am psyched to be joined with this guy today. Um, I met him for the first time around the holidays of last year. We were on a bill together uh, doing comedy at the Ruby Room Shaskeen up in Manchester, New Hampshire with the great Geneva Gonzalez. Uh, he's Mr. Sam Buck. He's a emerging comedian. He's, in my opinion, one of the best in the game right now. Sam, thanks so much for coming on, man, and joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, dude. So before we were rolling, I was just telling you, man, I'm, I'm just seeing you everywhere. I follow you on Instagram and Facebook and you're just you're I can just tell, man, you're really driven and you're always at it and you're always doing something and you're you're mixing it up with people. You're doing stuff at Harvard. Um, <laughs> you're, pl- you're playing all over the place. You're meeting really interesting people. So I guess before we get into all that um, for, for my audience and, you know, some people who maybe haven't heard of you or know about you, uh, talk a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got going in comedy. Yeah. So um, I'm a comedian and podcaster. I uh my origin story in comedy is really funny. I used a fake ID that my mom bought me to uh, fly to L.A. and to get up at the comedy store when I was 17 years old. And that was the first time I ever did comedy. And it like it was a dream before then. But that was the moment where I got like the bug, you know, like that bug of doing comedy. And it my it took me a little while, like within school. But when I got out of school. I just went head first and I don't know, following something passionately is way better than being sad all the time. You know what I mean? So I just like kept doing it and I was a dream. And then when the pandemic hit and I couldn't do comedy anymore, I started the podcast just to talk about what I was doing with my free time, talk about self-help. And uh, I always loved rappers. So I started talking to rappers about self-help, which no one ever really did. And that's how the podcast kind of took off. And um, it's one of those things like looking back now, I'm like, damn, I made some good decisions. But in the moment, I was just like, keep my head down, keep moving. You know what I mean? Like even the going out to L.A. in the moment was dumb as hell. But looking back, I'm like, damn, that's that's pretty cool that I got to use a fake ID at the comedy store. Badass. And your mom sanctioned that? (laughs) Yeah, my mom bought I was like. I want to go perform at the comedy store, but it's 21 plus. Like, do you think you could call and maybe you fly out with me and like you walk me in? Could you write me and, a note, mom? Yeah, literally, like we were watching Jurassic Park in sixth grade. <laughs> and um, she was like, well, do you know anyone that can make a fake ID? And I had, I did, I met someone and uh, they made me the shittiest fake ID I've ever seen, but it got me into the comedy store. Yes. Like the original McLovin fake ID. Bro, I looked so bad. I had no beard. I was a baby face. And you know who Tom Arnold is? Oh yeah. So Tom Arnold's in the back of the room. Oh wow. And I get, I'm about to get off stage and he goes, this guy's not 21. Like loud of the belly room. <laughs> he, had, he had your number, literally. <laughs> he was a snitch, yeah. Yeah, well, from what I remember uh, from your, your act, your mom sounds like a real badass. Like, yeah. I, I know you were telling, I think one of your bits was about uh, either how she was going to Monster Jam or she took you as a, as a young kid. Um, oh, she would take me to, like, every rap concert. Like, the bigger, like, my dad would take me to, like, 
Kenny the Wu-Tang Clan. No, my dad would take me like Wu-Tang Clan, okay. like the grimy rap. And then my mom would take me to like Lil Wayne and T.I., like the pop rap. Bring them out, uh, bring them out. Literally, my mom yelling the lyrics, cheering. Like they were, oh, man. people are always like, why are you in rap music? Like, why are you hanging with all these rappers? Why do you like, and it's like, I literally grew up with it. Like, I don't know any other way to describe it is that all I listened to as a child, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, and I see a lot of your playlists that you put out and uh, it's, it's obvious you're very passionate about music and it had an early impact, like on your formative years and your childhood. Um, yeah. My first concert ever was the Moody Blues. My dad took me. That's a good one. Uh, my brother and I. Oh, yeah. It's it's so it is so informed who I am as a person, my worldview, how I how I feel spiritually about things, about the earth, about nature, about other humans. Um, so when you when you click with something that young at such a young age, it's undeniable the impact it has on you. I always try to I always talk about this with like friends and stuff about like when you grow up, you kind of want to find your own voice. But your own voice is really just the shit that brought you comfort as a child. Like, you don't really find your own voice. You just, like, rediscover what brought you peace, you know? Right. Oh, it's so true. Yeah, and, and it's it's undeniable um, the influence your parents' tastes have on you as a kid because it's, it's what's around. My dad had a cassette tape of the Moody Blues album from 1983 called The Present, and we used to have a uh, Aerostar minivan because we were a family of, uh, I have a brother and a sister, and then, you know, it was my mom and dad. So there's five of us. And my dad would just play that thing on repeat, and then he had a vinyl copy of it. And I was fascinated by the art. Like, I remember the artwork of it, and I remember driving around certain parts of Massachusetts where I grew up originally, near Ashland and Framingham, Metro West. Um, so, like, I have a emotional and a mental connection to that album. And, and yeah it brings me back to places when I was a child to like going out with my dad and going skating, going, put him teaching me how to skate and pond playing out in the pond. And um, it, it's music is just so important, man, to our life and then to everything Shit. we do. My first concert was the Allman brothers. My dad took me when I was oh, like a man. baby and that's wow. probably why I'm a stoner. <laughs> hell yeah man i probably smelled it in my three-year-old brain <laughs> like yeah, one day like, this is this. gonna bring me comfort yeah this is, this is gonna be me yeah <laughs> but it is it, it's crazy and um i think too the thrill of it going to see someone who your first experience of that person is their music and then the artwork from their music and you just view them as this larger than life uh, figure this this like you know huge icon and then you go and see them and it, it, it just the crowd and the energy was something I became addicted to and I knew that I liked being around that and I liked being in front of it and then as I grew up and progressed I felt like well I could be the thing that people come to see or that entertains people yeah. large groups of people so would you say like your early exposure to music kind of made you feel more comfortable in that environment and, and kind of helped form you into becoming someone who performs for other people? I think that's definitely a big part of it. I also think I am an only child that comes from a, a divorce that probably was worse than a lot of other divorces, like from friends I know. So I just want attention. Like I think that's like a big part of it is 
when you feel like people aren't listening to you as a kid yeah. and then you see comedy or music, I never like wanted to be a musician, you know, that was never like my thing. But when I saw comedy, like I remember my parents took me to see Jim Gaffigan on my 10th birthday. And I remember just being like, wow, people are listening to what he has to say and like actually listening. And I think that was really informative uh, to me in my younger years. Yeah. Having one of those figures or someone in that world doing it so well and getting that response from the crowd and being, it's like conducting an orchestra when you're on stage and it's a cool feeling. Yeah. But I think that's what I like more about like the podcast is like comedy. I kind of understand the mindset, but with music, I don't, I'm not a musician, so I don't get that. So I like, like every time I meet a huge artist, I'm like, Oh shit. They're just like a crazy person like me. You know, they don't have it all figured out. Like I was, this is a, this is a weird tangent on it, but I interviewed the former uh, CFO of Capital One Bank who also like uh, created the new, the codes, the the codes that protect our nuclear weapons. And he also is a rap producer. Wow. And I also did hella mushrooms with him. And when, (laughs) with all of that information, I'm like, there's no grand scheme of people controlling the government. I'm like, this is the fourth in charge of the fourth biggest bank in the world. And he's doing like drugs with me. Like people are just people doing their thing. And they get to this point where they look, take, take their head up and they're like, what, where the fuck am I? And then they just put their head down and keep working. Like when I did that, I was like, I was tripping. I was like, the Illuminati's not real. Like I'm with the guy who would be in the Illuminati right now. Like, <laughs> this guy would be, yeah, he would be one of the, uh, you know, the doormen or the, the ushers he'd be with them. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's a good point. I mean, how really, and, and you're probably finding this and I find this too, cause I rub shoulders with like powerful and wealthy people in politics and the entertainment world. Um, power, power is just perception. That's all it is. Same with wealth. Same with wealth. And projection. Yes. Rappers are known to be like the richest because they have huge chains. They drive fancy cars and have mansions, but it's all a perception. It's that's um, it's a persona. That's what some people need to enjoy their artist. But a lot of people put all that into that and then don't have a savings or don't have a 401k and they want that and they want to grow to that. But that takes a whole little other level of discipline than to just get the money right there. Yeah. It's, it's the dude who's just kind of wearing like a track suit and is understated. He's, he's the guy who's got all that figured out. Not the guy. Well, Oh my, I have a friend who travels with me for the podcast cause he enjoys the music too. And I love being able to just bring friends along with me on the journey. And he is what he'll be wealthier than, all the people in the room and yeah, he'll have on a track suit and people will be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you like? Why are you here? And he'll be like, Oh, I'm Sam security guard. Even though he's like, you yeah. know, like he'll just like fucking with people because no one yeah. expects it. Right. And, and that's, uh, you know, that takes a level of evolution to, you have to be evolved and understand some certain things and have some foresight. It's fun to be in the moment and caught up in all of that, but uh, that all fades pretty quickly you know yeah pretty pretty fast and 
Um, that's fascinating. So you talk to like rappers and people in that world about those kind of things, like, like retirement mm -hmm. savings and financial wellness and financial literacy and estate planning and stuff. Yes, I do. And the, the best way that I can, I, uh, I'm a goofy comedian who is first and probably 275 of my 280 episodes was stoned out of my mind. Like, right. but yeah, I, I think that's important. And I think I just had this problem with like people thinking comedians are one certain way. Like we th they think we're always on, they think we're always funny. And it's like, I'm not funny all the time. Comedians are usually not funny off stage and they want to be funny. So they like force themselves to learn how humor on stage. And I think that's how I felt about rappers too, is like, these are real people who are dealing with real things and living a real life the same way. Like it's like, you're making a hundred thousand dollars off a rap a year. That's like, Oh shit. You're your own. That's a good job. That's a good job. But you have to treat that money like someone who makes a hundred K working at Oracle does, you know, like, well, it's not really a hundred thousand cause knock 30% right off the top. Oh, right Sam. off. The, oh my God. Yeah. That's my, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you got that gangster uncle Sam who always got his hand out. Then you got maybe your crew and your homies and then you got incidentals and you got travel. What are you left with? 10 grand at the end of the year. That's what a so, lot of, I was talking to a rapper about how they wanted to sign him for a $2 million deal uh, for, it was like five years, $2 million, which already when you do the math out is like good, but not great. But then he couldn't make any money off of the top of that. Hmm. And then like the management takes 10% and then it's yeah. like on that fifth year, you're hurting, you're hurting. And you okay. just got this large chunk of change yeah. in the beginning that you can't really do anything with because that's used to fund your album. Well, you have to approach this shit like Donald Trump. You have to say, that's a terrible deal, Sam. Okay. <laughs> and there's going to be things in place. You got to be look out for numero uno. And I'm sure you probably think about this when someone wants to hire you for like a private gig or a private event or something. So what I do, like I picture myself on the top of a building looking at like a map. Okay. First of all, where am I going to travel? How much is, is it going to cost me to get there? My hotel needs to be paid for. My ground transport needs to be paid for. My food and drink needs to be all comped. And then on top of that, my rate for this is two grand. So you, you have to like start right there yeah, to, to come ahead on it. So that's like how I approach anything in life. Is that kind of kind of an attitude you have with when you're advising these rappers and then also when you book stuff for yourself? It's hard. It's hard to find yourself worth, though. Like when you start, it's hard to find how much money you're supposed to ask for, you know, like. Because people will get people who don't do it will get mad. People who it isn't their job, like if comedy and podcasting isn't your job or music or art, I'd say art in general. If you don't make your living from art, you don't understand how people make their livings from art. You don't understand. You think, oh, what? It's, they want to do it. It's like a favor. But it's <laughs> they'll, like, they'll pay to do it. Exactly. But it's like, that's not, this is how I pay my bills. So I can't, I have to be, I have to be secure in what I'm asking for and my money. And it's, it, that's a tough thing to find in the beginning. Yeah. It's, it, I would think that's the same along all um, on the spectrum of the entertainment world, kind of establishing yourself and figuring out a monetary figure and then what you're willing to walk out that door for, because you know, you do have to maintain integrity, self-integrity, 
and what you expect to get paid um, yeah. as you're going along. Of course, you're not always going to get it. Um, but once you do get like a pretty decent payday to entertain somebody, it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling. It is. And it, yeah, it, it is an amazing feeling. Um, but it's a hard one because you think, Oh, I made this money, but really like you got to keep, you got to, it's the consistency. It's the, um, tortoise versus the hare, you know, it's like, how can I make money over a long period of time? Not how can I <laughs> scam a few people into giving me money, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Consistency and, you know, planning. Um, and also expectation because you can't expect to get that every single time. Every, oh, every, no. every gig or every outing or every project is going to be different. Um, but you always have to advocate for yourself. You always got to really, you got to put your, your self-interests, you got to make sure that they're up at the forefront because people will railroad you and take advantage of you. Oh, 100%. And you got to eat a little bit of shit, but that, you also oh, yeah. got to find your self-worth. You got to find what your price is. And you also got to be willing, you got to be ready to step up to the plate. Yeah. You can't yeah. just be like, this is what I want and then suck. You know, like, <laughs> we yeah. also see, I get in this whole thing where it's like entertainers have this hard ass life, but imagine starting a business knowing what to charge. Imagine know it like, all right, I have this product, whether it be a, a computer code or whether it be food or whether it be an actual like tangible item you have, like to create something like that and to find your worth, it's probably way harder than <laughs> telling dick jokes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, people always want to be entertained. It's just a matter of like finding your niche, your niche and, uh, you know, going for it and, and believing in yourself. And uh, I heard this too the other day, um, you know, with podcasts, sometimes I started my podcast with my brother, Mike in 2015. So we've been at it for like eight years. Oh, wow. And yeah. It, it's, you know, I guess you could call it a competitive field. I don't feel like I'm in competition with other people because I feel like what I have is unique and I have something cool and unique to offer with my brother. Um, but some people burn out in the podcast game and they say, oh, I'm just another podcast. I'm just going to give up. This is too hard. I'm not going to do it. In reality, there's really, there's only, there's a million podcast. There's literally 1 million podcasts out there, but there's three over 330 million people in America. So this guy, I'm not the best at math, but this guy, like he boiled down the numbers on that and got, you know, did a derivative of how many ears you want to get into and where you can be mm -hmm. successful. So it might seem like everybody has a podcast and it's a dime a dozen and um, what kind of impact or influence am I going to have? Um, but like we talked about before we were rolling, man, if you just show up, if you just show up and you keep yeah. going and you're persistent and you manifest and you have a goal in mind or you have a dream guest in mind, if you don't give up, man, and you just keep going, that can happen for you. Totally. And that's like I was about I'll, I'll use I'll use kinder language that I was going to use. You can swear, like, man. No, you no, can, I know. I was just you could be nasty, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like. You do. You think there's like only so many slices of the pie and that's the art art artist mind fucking with them. Cause like, all right, say I want to be a chef, like a real chef at a high end restaurant. I want to be the top chef. I got to go to culinary school. Well, you go to culinary school. Are you the only person who wants to be a chef there? No, literally everyone there is for the same thing. 
but there's no like proper channel of that, like podcasting. So we don't see it the same way. We think we're special when really it's like the grind is what gets you there. You're not just going to wake up and be what you want in any field. And you can't think about the other people around it. Like if you really were like, I want to create anything. Think about all the people who already do that. All the people who work for those people, all the people who go to school for that, all the people under that, that are thinking about it. Every you have to climb the pyramid, no matter what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'll I'll compare myself to other podcasts or other people in the uh, political kind of podcast commentary world where my brother and I operate and envy is not something I'm not an envious person. When I see, when I see someone else who I know has hustled and been digging it out and done it on their own and didn't have a studio behind them, didn't have a corporation or anything big behind them and they, they have success. I'm really excited for that person and I'm happy for them because I feel like, well, I can get there too. If that guy did it and I know his circumstances and I know the disadvantages he had, but I know the guy just worked his ass off and he didn't give up. And then he either landed this big guest or he got booked on this huge podcast that that is inspiration. And uh, Sam Tripoli talks about abundance and uh, I love that, man. I love those ethos that, it, there, there's there's something for everybody. We can all have success. Yeah. One hundred percent. When you know what hard work is, you can see it in someone else. Right. Like, and if you don't know what hard work is, you're going to hate on other people for their hard work. That's exactly. That's when people come from our haters or are full of envy or jealousy. And, and it's it's uh, kind of it's poison, really. It really is. What are they? What was that? Uh was it Eleanor Roosevelt who said uh, comparison is the thief of joy? That's a, that's a great quote. I'm, I, it was probably her. Was, uh, <laughs> you never know had, with quotes. You can just she, make uh, up anyone. Yeah, you, you, can say, you, you know you Genghis say, Khan used to say famously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Genghis Khan said, don't believe everything you hear on the internet. <laughs> then, he, then he cut someone's, he cut someone's head off. Um, but yeah, you, you know, it's. Do you it's, believe uh, that he drank horses' blood? Is that Do you believe the Genghis Khan when he was riding on horses that when he was thirsty he would cut the vein in the horse's neck and drink the blood? That's well, something I learned growing up. Look, there are humans here in 2023 who drink Schlitz and Bush Light, so I'm willing to believe that Genghis Khan <laughs> drank blood. <laughs> Yo, I met someone who said they were a cannibal, and I couldn't tell if it was a bit or not. Where was this? I I feel like I got to give the least amount of details possible. But yeah, I was I met this guy, uh, and he was like, "Yeah, I was dating this girl for some time." who was a cannibal and I like tried human once and I was like, I'm just going to get out of this conversation. I need, I need <laughs> to leave this meat locker right now. <laughs> so there might, he might've drank blood. I answered my own question right yeah, there. Yeah. This, this girl, she's probably a fan of army hammer. It sounds like <laughs> <laughs> he was the biggest fan. <laughs> she was a big army hammer stand. She was part of the army hammer blood army. You know, I, I would love the, maybe she was just like a dumb, like kind of dumb and they're just selling her steak. <laughs> making her pay like four times the price. She thought she like, was eating. <laughs> she thought she was eating human Wago beef of dissident North Koreans who end up in camps. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, there's there's some dark shit out there. 
I mean, when, when we think of cannibalism, we think of the most cartoonish, outlandish example like Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm-hmm. That's like what's in the public consciousness of it. Whereas the reality of it is probably, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what it would be. You I, started into- on, I started us on a bad tangent. I yeah, never. Yeah. That's the one rule of podcasting: never talk about cannibalism. Genghis Khan did say that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said that while he was at Jeffrey Epstein's island. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know, you know, the elites—they're into some weird stuff, you know. And yeah, a lot of like a lot of the stuff they put out there, the imagery is is, uh, you know, promoting that kind of stuff. What do you think is at the top? Like, who do you, what do you think runs everything? I think it's probably more of a mindset and a spiritual capture that runs that. Um, Cause when you've, when you've gotten everything in the material world and you've conquered all the wealth, all the toys, just the ability to travel freely on private jets, you're, you're operating in a different stream from the rest of humanity. So, I think possibly you get addicted to the pursuit of going to the next step. So I think really what the top of that is, is something that's very lonely and isolating uh, where you're just in this cycle of constantly chasing the next level. And then you, you realize there is no next level. It's just here you are. You have to, you have to face yourself. But like, do you mean like, (laughs) like a conniving cabal of like Satanists and that sort of thing? I just, I don't know. I'm always like, do you think there's like a room of people deciding what is happening with what, what is going like, do you believe in like an Illuminati type group that runs everything? Well, yeah. I mean, I point people towards the Bilderberg group. They meet every year. Um, They just met um, I think in Spain recently. And that's a very real thing. That's it. That they're, they're open about who they are. They're, they're captains of industry, telecom, banking, defense, oil, energy, tech. Um, and certainly they get together off the record in a big confab that's guarded by secret police, secret service, private security. Um, and they're able to speak off the record with each other. Um, you know, I don't think that it's like just specifically a group of people all the time in a room. Um, whereas it's kind of, I look at the world as, kind of like competing cartels and gangsters that sometimes align on goals and ends. And they'll sometimes occasionally team up to meet those ends. But then the mm. next week, if something else that they're going for runs counter to that people they just teamed up with, they'll be at war with them again. And then their vessels are the media, politicians, industries, um, the entertainment world. I mean, when you think about a movie that gets funded for like, $250 million, clearly that has an agenda. That movie, mm-hmm. that like you think about like The Hurt Locker or Zero Dark Thirty, um, those are movies that are made and funded with an agenda in mind. They're serving some kind of agenda and a purpose. So there are powerful, there are people who can pull those levels of uh, power and influence and make things happen and move things and be movers and shakers. That's absolutely truth and reality. But this like cartoonish idea of like people in a boardroom, like dark and it's the Illuminati and all this. I, I think a lot of that is kind of largely um, put out there to, to throw people off. Yeah. I think the gang, the think? cartel thing that you were thinking, you were talking about is true. When you think about America, it's just the most successful business like or China. China is actually the most successful business that's ever been run. 
Like yeah. countries are just businesses, which are mm-hmm. really just gangs. Like that's if you yeah. want to like what that famous that famous uh, quote from Scarface. Everything relates back to drug dealing. Like yeah. it really does. Like that's the simplest form of making money because it's untaxed income. And when you grow that all the way to the Dude. top, it's the true. There's the kingpins, and that just trickles down. Let me do a little Jesse Ventura for you. Let me tell you something, Sam. You know, you know, you know what CIA stands for? <laughs> what is that? CIA stand for Jesse? <laughs> Get a load of this one, Sam. This will blow your mind. CIA stand. Let it be known that the 38th governor of Minnesota is telling you that CIA stands for Cocaine Import Agency. <laughs> Dude, it's so funny you mentioned that, man. I just watched a, a classic 1993 Mike Wallace 60 Minutes when they actually had some balls and some teeth and they would do real investigative journalism. They they uncovered um, a CIA smuggling operation uh, between out of Venezuela and they the CIA smuggled one ton of cocaine out of Venezuela into America, into the American markets. And it was part of an operation to get their people embedded with cartel. I mean, that's at least what the story was, the cover story they told. Yeah. And they, Mike Wallace interviewed at the time in 93, the current head of the DEA, the actual head of the whole agency. And he was like, we had no idea about this. Uh, we, we've been investigating the C- the, the DIA was investigating the CIA for like over a year to figure out what they were up to. And this this is proven, undisputed, documented fact, at least in this instance, that the CIA smuggled in a, you know a ton of cocaine into the United States, and those those are done to fund black operations because the CIA can't like just go to Congress and say, hey, we need a hundred million dollars to go into this third world country, overthrow their government, train up a right wing paramilitary force to be involved in that coup. And then we're going to install our guy in power. We're going to keep him in power. And then we're going to fund his drug smuggling operations to keep our operations going throughout the world. They can't do that. So they have to be involved in drug smuggling and illicit arms deals. I mean, that that's all very real stuff, documented stuff. Yeah. yeah. Should we, this is a, t- should we care about that as people, you know, like it's like aliens. I'm like, how is my day to day life really going to change if an alien lands in like, yeah, I think the alien, right now, I think the alien thing's largely a psyop. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I think, I think that's, that's technology that man has created, but it worth it's 30, 40 years ahead of, of what normies are allowed to see and know about. Mm. So they they make movies like Independence Day, and they get the dude from Blink One Eighty Two. You know, the, the dude who's obsessed with it. It's like, yeah, he's that guy's going to be the one who leads disclosure about aliens. The dude from Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah. You know? It's so true. Uh, what's his name? The Angels and Airwaves guy. Uh, DeLong, not DeLong. Is yeah, it? is it Tom DeLong? Or there's mm. Travis Barker, Tom DeLong, and then uh, Mark Hoppus. Yeah, it's Travis Barker. Yeah, I, th- I think it's Tom DeLonge who's the guy right. who's obsessed it's, with it's the Tom aliens. DeLonge. But he's, that's how he's, I know Blink One Eighty Two might be my least favorite band of all time. Yeah, I, I got some <laughs> friends who love them and went to their show recently, so I'm like really happy for them. But yeah, I, I'm not. I'm, you know, I like their music from America, the American Pie soundtrack. Um, but should we care about the? I mean, that's the thing. So that's what's so amazing about it. When you hear about poor street level people getting pinched and going away for 20 and 30 years for a bag of Coke or, or weed, you're like, 
the injustice of this when it's our own government, our own intelligence agencies that are involved in the scheme to get it in here to our country, to make sure that supply chain is protected and guaranteed. And then it floods our streets and people become addicted and it ruins families and people's lives. So that's what I care about. I care about educating people on that and exposing that. I I do agree with that. But don't you think that that will happen no matter who's in charge is because you're saying if you get like, if you're getting to the top, you're going to want that next step. Cause that's the type of person you are. Right. And it's like working at a business that like living in America is like working at a business that, you know, what little like side steps you can do to make your job easier. But if yeah. you get caught at that job, you're going to get fired. Right. Right. And it's like, I don't know. I, I lost my tangent on there. I, I no, used to. I think what you're, what you were saying is like, what the hell are we going to do about it? Right. Basically. Well, it's not even that it's just, okay. How do I think myself as a person can help the most people? I think telling jokes, comedy and podcasting is what I think I was put here for. So that's how I'm going to help the most people. So I'm going to focus all my time and energy into that to try to help the most amount of people. I turn my microphone off. I think that is what people should do is figure out how they can help the most amount of people doing what they want to do. Because I had a friend say this to me, like ignorance is the same thing as knowing of what you're ignorant about and not doing anything about it. Yeah. Willful ignorance. Exactly. So I think, yes, you shouldn't just ignore it. But I also think if you focus and study, like I used to be so into reading about everything, like how the government was fucking us over everything. I'd spend all my time. And then it would just make me so anxious that I wouldn't be working on the thing that actually would help me get information out there in the best possible way. It was ruining your good time. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's that's why you have to walk the fine line between being black-pilled and hawk-pilled. And um, it's very easy to get down about the stuff. Uh, my brother and I have done, since high school, 20 years of very deep research and reading and investigation into all the stuff that we're talking about right now. Drug smuggling, yeah. human trafficking, um, the war machine. You know, the assassinations of the 60s, the September 11th, the Iraq war, you know, the, the, the gateway into that was I was a child of the Iraq war generation. I was in high school when 9-11 happened in 2001. I was a freshman. And then the drumbeat for war with Iraq was like almost instantaneous. And so I was like looking around like, who the hell are these people that are pushing for this war with Iraq with a country that didn't attack us? They weren't involved in the 9-11 attacks. In fact, Saddam Hussein and Al-Qaeda and bin Laden hate each other. They're, they're, they're of, of opposing gangster factions. Um, and I'm starting to see my peers and people in my community, guys my age, a year or two older than me, running to sign up to go into this meat grinder 8,000 miles away and kill people that the, they never otherwise would have even known existed in a country they couldn't find on a map the week before. So that's like always been my mindset with stuff. So I do, mm -hmm. I always, I do want to know, I want to know about the dark shit and I want to be educated on it, but you're absolutely right, Sam. If you, if you just do it all the time and you dwell on it, it, it you can be blackpilled and you can be miserable. 
but you also created an outlet for that, which I think is good. Like if you, if that's how, like, if this is how you and your brother are the best way to reach people, then all that knowledge and learning is important. It's so funny how different people like, you know, what we were talking about this with what you like as a child or what's influential to you as a child. Like you really don't get to pick what your interests are. And that's why it's so funny if you're religious or if you're atheist, it's the exact same thing. You're like, well, my, my, what I like came from a place of unknown and that's fine. Like, it doesn't matter. Like not an unknown, but who I am was decided either by the universe or by a higher power or by like the, the circumstances I came into and that describes what you enjoy. And that then leads to you thinking everyone was that way, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, absolutely. It's the environment you come up where you come up, who's around you, who are the voices around you? What are, what are they talking about? You're influenced by your family, by your peers, um, by the community. Was your family politically active? So no. Um, my mom uh, is from Cambridge and Somerville originally, and she, you know, grew up around like probably a traditional liberal Democratic Massachusetts family, Catholic, blue collar. But she was not like a political person. And then my dad um, was originally from Newfoundland, uh, Canada, up you know near where the Titanic sank. Um, Titanic sank off the coast of Newfoundland. And he immigrated to America when he was 10 and he just was a resident alien his whole life. He never actually became a citizen, so he couldn't vote. Of course, they took plenty of taxes out of him, you know, while he was alive. But um, they were, they were, my dad was like very aware of things that were going on. Um, And a lot of what kind of got us into the, the political world and investigating stuff was my dad and his brothers. My dad has five brothers who are all still around. So I grew up with these like five amazing, epic, like blue collar, uh, self-employed contractors, like businessmen, salesmen kind of dudes, but who are also very well read on like the war machine and like esoteric stuff, uh, conspiracy stuff. Um, like my dad had David Icke's books on his nightstand when I was, are you familiar with David Icke? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The lizard man, mate. It's a lizard, <laughs> mate. So like, I'm a, t- I'm a 12 year old kid and my dad's reading David Icke's and the truth will set you free. So I'm like, what's my dad reading? So that kind of informed a lot of our thinking at that age. And then of course you evolve over time and you kind of find your own voice and your own footing. But that's that's kind of a big big part of the environment that, I, that I, my brother and I came up in. That makes sense, and that's why, like, I think null my point before about like, do we really care about it? Because it, of course, you should care about it. That's what you came up in. It's like you don't give a fuck about rap music. Not pardon my love, but like, not that I care about that. But it's like, why would you? Why would you know any of the rappers I talked to? Why would you didn't grow up with that? You didn't learn that growing up. Like, right. But also I see the, um, my friend and I say this about people. So when, when they're into something that you might not necessarily be into or know a lot about, you say, well, that's their art and it's beautiful and it brings them joy. And I, and I love it. So the hard work, if I see hard work, I enjoy it. And I do enjoy the politics thing just is so like 
you do have to have 20 years of knowledge. It's like, you're not going to be a professional guitar player with two years playing guitar, you know, and you having knowledge since being a child. All right. So the lizard, the David Ike, the lizard people thing, when did that like leave your mind? Like, or do you believe in something like that in a way? Well, I believe in the, the fearless questioning of authority the challenging of institutions that preceded us that have always been here and saying, why the hell does Homeland Security exist? Why does the crown and the monarchy exist? And why are these people that I should, why should I care about these people? They're a bunch of inbred privileged assholes, you know, but like our whole life, we have them beamed at us into our face and we're supposed to show deference to them. So I think this renegade attitude and spirit is something that's always informed my worldview and how mm-hmm. I research things and look at things. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily believe that there's friggin' 10, 12 feet tall shape shifting lizards amongst us, but I do believe that, th- that there is good and evil in the world. Yeah. I and, think I got ruined to the, sorry, what were you saying? I didn't mean to cut you off. I, no, no, go ahead. I was just, I was saying that I think I got ruined to this belief. I think talking to you, especially I see like my mindset on it. And so I, was very privileged. I got a full ride to a boarding school when I was in high school. It was $89,000 a year for high school. And oh. I got full tuition. They gave me the whole thing. Where the hell so, was this? In, in, in the middle of nowhere, bumfuck Massachusetts. This is where like kings and princes went oh, and like okay. and the, the titans of industry, this is where their kids went. And I'm there, a day student from Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Like, <laughs> Like, you know, being like, I'm here free and all these people are the wealthiest kids. And I'm just, and I see like, oh, their parents are the ones who are actually running this shit. And these kids are like doofuses. These kids yeah, are like oh, privileged doofuses. And then yeah. I go and I meet like the the people in the industry that I know. And I'm like, oh, they're just like it ruined me to that because I was like, oh, this is these kids parents are running shit. I don't want to know nothing about them. And I think that made me kind of uh, turned off from the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, no, I can. uh, Wow. That's fascinating, dude. And I completely can understand that. I I think what has kept me so compelled and involved in politics is that I think just early out in the gate, I viewed myself and my ethos as that archetype, as someone who could get within the system, but be a rogue and be a maverick within the system and push it just as far as they could without it ending in disaster. So yeah, I, you I got think, the RFK junior. Well, like. That's exactly it, man. And that, that's kind of been wild for me, man, becoming buddies with him and having him on my show. Um, you know, I got JFK here behind me. It's one of my favorite pictures of Kennedy um, out in the water. Um, so, and, and I did, I grew up idolizing the Kennedys. Um, you know, I'm from Massachusetts originally. I, my, my dad talked about them and it was always like, just never accepted that they were just killed, killed by one guy randomly. Um, so I was fascinated at, at power structures and the psychology of power and, and how it worked and, and, and how people could be manipulated and, pro- and propagandized, um, but I think I've just always viewed my pursuit in politics as someone who has knowledge and, and can gain and has no, has just the same amount of knowledge, if not more, than the people who are in the belly of the beast. 
Yeah. And, and I, I, I view it like, well, if I was in there, this is what I would do with it. Or this is how I would help people. Or I would vote against all these wars. I would vote against the funding of these wars because there have been people who've got in there to the highest levels of power and have done the right thing. So I'm always fascinated by those figures. Do you have someone that you look up to the most in politics? Well, it's always been JFK and RFK and then Ron Paul. Um, you know, I got his sign back here. Um, Dennis Kucinich, who was, who was managing RFK Jr.'s campaign. And then, of course, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. But it's like as far as like my childhood, it, it was really like the Kennedys and uh, Jesse Ventura. Always fascinated <laughs> and in awe of Jesse Ventura. That guy is a renaissance man. You want, to, you want to talk about a guy who's lived a million lives, dude. I read his book on marijuana once because I thought it'd be hilarious. It's like he has lived a million lives. Like, why yeah. the fuck is he writing this book? <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it cool, Sam, to think about a guy like that, a former fucking member of a biker gang, a Navy SEAL, a wrestler, then becomes the chief executive of Minnesota? That's, dude, that's fucking wild. Yeah. It's crazy. So th those are like the figures that I gravitate towards in, in politics. But that is, is that is cool. And that's what proves to me. It's like, if he did it, anyone can do it. There's not like a, yeah. there probably is a grand scheme of things. You are right on that, well, but there isn't in the way that Jesse Ventura can become, you know, like work in politics. Yeah. Well, part of that is there, but if an outlier like him, if someone who's a real renegade who really is heterodox, against all odds actually got in there and, and became a powerful governor for four years. It's inspiring. And, and it, it, uh, those kind would of you things. ever, what would you ever try out to be in politics or do you like being the media side of it? Well, so I would ran, you run for, I ran for state rep uh, here in New Hampshire in 2012 and I lost by 69 votes, which is crazy. That is crazy. That, that is crazy. <laughs> the deal with that was I just, at that time, I bit off way more than I could chew. Mm -hmm. I was about 25, 26 years old. I was uh, doing grad school, working full time, working two jobs, um, doing politics. And it, I was really spread thin. And it, it really would have, I think it would have been a disaster if I had gotten elected because I just don't think I would have had the time to do it. But I went for it because I wanted the glory and I wanted to get my name in the mix. And I wanted to get that experience of being the candidate. And it was cool, man. I learned a lot and I met a lot of cool people who I'm still in touch with. Um, but as far as like ever running for office again, personally, obviously I won't, I'll leave that door open. Um, yeah. But just the way that social media is now and how much of a meat grinder it is, it's less appetizing than it was for me in 2012, certainly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you really will get wrong. You'll be brought through the ringer. <laughs> they will they will go and talk to my uh, kindergarten classmates. They'll track them down and they'll, they'll find a picture of me, you know, uh, dressed as a scarecrow from the wizard of Oz and some group will get mad about it and I'll be canceled. Oh, you you want to know what a group will really, you want to know why I can never care about politics and why I can never run. And this is because when I was in fourth grade, my family dressed me up as Robert E. Lee. Ooh. 
Oh, there you go. <laughs> and, and took pictures of me. I don't know where those pictures are. Someone's sitting on a picture of fourth grade me dressed in. My grandfather was named after Robert E. Lee. He hey, probably, Robert E. Lee's heritage. probably looking, looking up from hell being like, he's talking to who? Like, <laughs> right. No, we know this is Alex Jones. We know who's got those pictures. They got them in the safe. It's the person who's controlling <laughs> Sam Buck, folks. He's blackmailing Sam Buck. He's controlling his career. I have the documents. I've got the Robert Lee photos, and we'll be back at the top of the hour at InfoWars. But that's some serious. I literally, like, that is a picture that when I'm like, oof. Uh, no one yeah. wants to be dressed up as Robert E. Lee. No. Hey, man, that was that was against your will. So you get a pass on that one. <laughs> you yeah. get a pass on that one. I just, you know, I think about the shit that we were allowed to say and experience and do as kids. Um, you know, I was born in 86. So I came of age in the 90s, grew up in the 90s. No social media. No, um, cam like, a constant camera in your face all the time. You, the chance of being recorded and... At, at, at every step, you know, we were allowed to make mistakes and grow up. So mm -hmm. the TikTok generation now with kids, man, you're just, you're monitored and surveilled around the clock and everything's filmed and it's horrible. How do you feel? I'm not going to talk about guns because I don't really have an opinion on them. I is like everyone thinks like if everyone has a gun, you everyone's can. safer. You can say everyone. whatever you want about guns, man. Yeah. Oh, totally. But I just mean like, I'm not. You do what you want. I don't really care. But I, the grander point is people saying if everyone has a gun, then everyone's safer. Is I don't know how I feel about that with guns, but how do you feel about that with social media? If everything's being filmed, if everyone's uh, being recorded all the time, does that make everyone safer in the end because there's so much data out there that we're not really – or is it no, the other I way? I think it's awful. It's the illusion of safety. It's 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 like the Kabuki theater of the TSA when you go to when your grandma has to take her shoes off and get patted down by a TSA agent at the airport. Um, you know we have a Fourth Amendment uh, for a reason here in in our republic in our constitution, and um, I think it's awful. I, I I think I think it's it's just it's taken it's pushing us further and further further and further into the merger of tech with organic and bio life, and uh, pushing us and you're against that i'm weary of it you know i'm weary of it i'm weary at the speed and the proliferation of it and, and and how fast it's happening and how i'm seeing things for me as a child that were organic experiences had in person with people out outside out in nature face to face now becoming screens everyone's on a screen and your whole uh, you know the 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 COVID thing. I call COVID the flu world order because that was just a that was a that was an insane merger of surveillance with medical tyranny, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, in your medical business and and getting forced to take this thing and, and all that. That's a whole other conversation. But uh, what makes me weary and afraid is privacy, loss of privacy, and loss of sovereignty and, and body autonomy. And the fact that so many people were just so conditioned and okay to go along with it and not even bring their head up for air and question it. Yeah. Uh, it frightened me, man. So, I mean, there's not much I can personally do to stop AI and, and where it's going, but I can personally live my life in a way that represents values I have where I put my value in being with people face to face, having real experiences. And look, I'm guilty of being on being like this and on my phone 
and being on Instagram, you know, I'm addicted to the gram. I do it all for the gram. We're doing um, this on, we're doing this on a computer, well, you know, talking, talking through screen. That's yeah. That's an excellent point. And that was, that's exactly what I was going to say. So like on the flip side of that, there are great things about it, but I think we have to, we have to have it in check. We can't let it put us in check. We have to put it in check. I, I agree with that. I also think that I'm using these terms colloquially, but I think we're the monkeys looking at the humans going, fuck them, you know? Like, we're the monkeys looking at, like, that's what AI is. That's the next form of our, that's the next evolutionary form of us, yeah. is artificial. And so we're the monkeys looking at them be, look at these idiots, what are they, they're ruining, they're ruining everything. But really, we're just, we're the outdated model, you know? Yeah, or we're propagandized to believe we're the outdated model. Mm. Which which could be true because you know, there's an app for that. Do you have that app on your phone? It's like fuck off, I don't have that app. You know? <laughs> and I, I, try, yeah. I have a heart here in my chest that beats organically. I have blood flowing through my body. I'm made of mostly water. I'm not a fucking app, you know? But if your heart fails, you could get a fake heart, which then makes you part technology. You are then I got an app for that. Yeah, you turn into a cyborg like Dick Cheney. You are like literally though. Like people don't realize they're cyborgs. You got a new <laughs> knee, you're a cyborg. Like <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, look, no man, I'm not totally My shit's all I'm so dumb that I can kind of make shit sound right, but I'm probably just uninformed on everything. Nah, I hope dude. people listening dude. to this podcast realize that that I'm just like the ignorance that maybe if you're dumb enough, you might agree with what I'm saying, but I also, I'm just talking out my ass, you know, dude, we're just, we're just two, we're two guys, you know, he, well, <laughs> and I let you like this and I got to take you down. I'm not going to like it. <laughs> I, I just watched, I had to watch heat again the other night. It's, it's such, uh, it's mm. like number one, it's in the top five in Netflix right now. It's one of my all time favorite movies. Um, but we're just two guys talking, Sam, through this medium. Yeah, look, no, there's there's a lot of great things about it, but it just, I don't know, it just freaks me out, dude, because I remember a time where we weren't on this grid. We 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 didn't all we weren't attached to some screen, and we didn't have instant access to everybody all the time. So a lot of the mystery and beauty of life to me has evaporated. Like mm -hmm. you run into someone and you've been friends with friends on Facebook with them for since you graduated high school. So I graduated high school in 05. So that was Jesus. Was that 18 years ago? God. Um, and I might not have seen, I, I might run into that person at the store or somewhere, but I already know what they've been up to. I've seen the trips they've taken. I've seen where their wedding was. I've heard, I've saw that they got divorced. Like all of that shit is, is now like, you know, all that. So it just, I don't know, man. It, it, it's it's kind of like remove the mystery of life. Do, do you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. I do know what you mean, but okay, let's think about like if we are, if the AI isn't next and we are humans and we are going to evolve as we are, then wouldn't knowing more about people make our brains evolve more onto bigger topics? 
Yeah, you'd, you'd like But to. also not. I don't think that's true because I think when we meet each other, we go, we revert even to smaller small talk because we already know everything. But I think evolutionarily, we should be like, well, I already know you got divorced, so let's talk about how to fucking solve world hunger, you know? But that's <laughs> let's, not let's talk really... About the, let's talk about the Federal Reserve and the Pentagon. Yeah, yeah I, I already knew your baby daddy cheated on you four times. <laughs> let's talk about... How to, <laughs> let's talk yeah. about... What, the S and P five hundred is, you know, like, hey, yeah, yeah. Well, we're doing mushrooms there with that guy. <laughs> exactly. That's wild, man. That's, that's awesome. I I did mushrooms recently, actually. I do them probably every two to three years, and uh, it's like good for realignment for me. Yeah, you know, it, I went to see. I took them too much. I went to see Cocaine Bear on mushrooms. Oh, <laughs> it turned to such a bad trip. That I think I'm done with them. I've done them <laughs> hundreds, hundred over a hundred times. Maybe not that many, but I've done it a lot of times. But watching Cocaine Bear in the movie theater on mushrooms, there were kids acting like assholes. It was just like, I think I'm never doing it again. <laughs> that's a lot, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's a lot? Wait, I wasn't, I was debating on telling you this story on the podcast, but do you ever know? I won't give, I'll give the least amount of details possible, but the craziest night of my life happened the night we met. No shit. Yeah. Someone at that show stole my phone. Okay. Yes, I do. I do know some details about this, but please f- fill in. You know, t- t- <laughs> I'm not. Go- I'm going to give the least amount of details to get people in trouble. But I need people to know how crazy this story is. Okay. We did a show, and it went. People enjoyed it so much that a guy took my phone, so he had to see me again. Did he, it wasn't an accident. I thought it was. That's why I went to go see him. So I went to go pick up my phone from this guy. And he was in a dark alley. Imagine this. All right. Just imagine people listening. I'm a comedian. I have a good show. A guy accidentally takes my phone. I'm a little weirded out, whatever. He gives me an address. So I pull up to that address to pick up my phone. That address is a dark alley. I, I call. I'm like, yo, if I have another phone, my friend's phone, I'm like, yo, I'm at the address, but it's a dark alley. I'm not pulling into a dark alley. They're like, pull into the dark alley. I'm like, I'm not pulling into this dark alley. You come to the street. So then th- this is abandoned. This is like a dead street. No one's on them. It's abandoned alley. Off of Elm in Manchester, right? <laughs> Don't give the details on this one. <laughs> the dude comes up to my car with an M16 and puts it in the window on me and my friend in the car. And he goes, what the fuck are you doing here? You're here to set me up. You're here to kill me. And I'm like, no, you have my phone. And then he starts sobbing. And he's like, I thought I, I thought you were here to set me up. And then he starts pulling out phones. This is like a, a fucking Ari Aster movie. He starts pulling out phones. He has like six phones. He finally gives me my phone sobbing with a gun on us. And I'm like, bro, I just had a good, you just like, what the fuck is happening? And that's how that that's how that night ended. Oh my god, man! I got my phone back, but yeah, the, I've never had, I've had guns pulled on me. I've never had someone pull a gun on me while they were sobbing. That they pulled a gun on me. 
Boy, that is that is Ari Aster territory for sure. <laughs> I was watching Bo is Afraid recently, and I was like, damn, that night was that movie right there. Oh, fuck, man. So you're going to associate that with me for the rest of our, our friendship. <laughs> no, I'm on the podcast. I'm on the podcast. We're having a good time. Hey, life, I'm a comedian. Life is supposed to be crazy. Life's like, if a you're a comedian, cast. life's supposed to, wild shit's supposed to happen. That's like <laughs> what a what a ga- oh Jesus man I'm I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> I thought it was I mean hey that's scary. water under the bridge but yeah. isn't that a crazy end of that night? That's nuts. Yeah, that's, it was. That's... Wasn't it Christmas Eve Eve? It was right right before Christmas. It was the showcase uh, Geneva and... put on and. Yeah, yeah, last thing is, look at the shirt I'm wearing. Like, I'm wearing a shirt with rappers with guns on them, whatever. That night I was wearing Vineyard Vines. I'm like, of course the one night I wear a collared shirt is when I get guns pulled on me. Like, I'm with, I'm with fucking gangs all the time. Like, literally, oh, like, I, I can't say which gangs because then the other gangs will get mad at me. But, yeah, like, no, I've been not, in, like, no, we're not gonna do any t- real gang situations. We're not going to do any Takashi. There's no Takashi in here. <laughs> that yeah. shit has never happened. But the second I wear a vineyard vine, someone pulls a gun on me after a comedy show. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Yeah, guns, man. I, I Look, I, I fucking hate guns. Like, personally, I don't own them. Um, I don't like being around them. Um, my, I had a fucking nutbag neighbor here uh, discharge his gun into my apartment. Jesus Christ. Fuck fired into my apartment dude and thank god my brother and i were not home but uh we got home why he claimed he he didn't know it was loaded and he was cleaning it and it went off accidentally and i was just like i was like dude you know that is that is not gonna lie he probably tried to shoot himself and missed (laughs) i I don't know what happened but uh that was scary man and and i was really really freaked out for a while after that like i had to go stay in a hotel for a couple nights afterwards because the bullet went through my bathroom and shattered a mirror and then there was plaster mirror glass all over if my brother and i had been home taking a dump or pissing in the bathroom we would have been we would have been killed that's horrible yeah. Um, but look, I understand uh, a gun is a tool. It's it's a tool. It's a, just a faster way of throwing a rock at somebody. Mm-hmm. And I, under, I understand self-defense and I understand all of that. But like gun culture and being obsessed with them and constantly talking about them and having to show yourself with all these guns, you know, it's just I'm not into it, man. I've never been into it. Um, I think it's a consciousness thing. And um, I like the peace of mind that I have not being around them. Now I can understand someone on the other end of that saying, well, I have peace and peace of mind being around them and having them on my person and being into guns and all that. So look, uh, I'm not judgy. And I just say, Hey man, that's their art. Um, but yeah, dude, it's uh, <laughs> they're here. The genie's out of the bottle. They exist and they're here. There's more of them. Especially than there are where we are in the Northeast New Hampshire. Like, <laughs> The more north you go, the more southern it gets. You know, like you hit some, <laughs> you hit some places in Maine, and you're like, "Why is there a Confederate flag up right now?" <laughs> right. Well, they got your Robert E. Lee pictures. That's why. <laughs> Those are just big bucked up fans. They're your Confederate fans. Yeah, look, a lot of my friends are libertarians, and a, a large part of my audience are libertarians, and I'm with them on like seventy percent of the issues. 
but I'm just, you know, I've just never been a big gun guy. I've shot them before. Yeah. I have friends who have enough guns to form fucking small armies. You know, now look, if, if the shit does hit the fan, <laughs> you know, I'm going right to those guys to, to form our own little militia. Oh, 100%. We're going we're gonna to build a wall. We're going to have guns. We're going to have barbed wire. We're going to have everything. <laughs> we're going to have tactical landmines strewn across the land. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, I know it's an emotional issue. It's definitely yeah. an, emotion, it's an emotionally charged issue, and I get that. If your libertarian fans don't like me, just know that Gary Johnson used a picture of me in his campaign. Awesome, there's a picture of me and gary johnson i'm so high i'm so stoned and i have a joe rogan t-shirt on and someone caught us taking the picture and he used it in his campaign like he pushed it That's and it was amazing. like look at how nice gary johnson is to his fans and stuff and it was all over facebook it was all over instagram i went to the like most liberal college in the whole world and i'm i'm pretty liberal now like but yeah. people would be like, look at this piece of shit on the Gary Johnson. He's uh, the Gary Johnson campaign trail. I'm like, awesome. God damn it. Was that in the 2016 or 2012 cycle? Uh, 2016. Okay. So I worked on Gary's campaign in 2012. Oh, really? Yeah, we're buddies. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. He is a good guy. I just think that's so if you like someday there will come out and it'll someone will find that picture of oh, just I, me I and Gary Joe. Yeah. I, I probably saw it and if I see it again, I'll be like, Hey, that's Sam. All right. Yeah. Let's I remember go. a bunch of people being like, Does that kid have a Joe Rogan t shirt on right now? <laughs> that's so on brand that's on brand though. Well, to, really so to, to I did me, DMT and started my podcast. I'm a Joe Rogan clone. Dude, you're, you're right there. That to, to me, Gary Johnson's kind of like one of those outliers in politics. He wasn't like a connected dude. He wasn't part of like a political family or a dynasty. He started his own construction company, made his own money, funded his own campaign. And then he got in there and he was, you know, he shook some shit up. Yeah. So I always liked that about him. I always um, I voted for him. I I voted I for him. Too. Like yeah, I wasn't I gonna vote for someone that I didn't support. Um, I don't yeah. know if my mind has changed on that now for the next cycle. I don't know who I'm gonna vote for yet. But at, at in 2016, I wasn't gonna vote for either of the two major candidates. So I I voted for Gary Johnson, and I also did my research on him. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, that's that's where I was. I uh, I worked for him in 12 and then he dropped out before the New Hampshire primary really even happened. And that's when the five of us, Gary Johnson, New Hampshire staffers endorsed Ron Paul. And then I worked on Ron Paul's campaign. Um, and then in 2016, when Gary ran again, um, I voted for actually. So in 2012, he was a libertarian nominee. So I voted for him in 12 and in 2016 in the general mm. elections. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that was my first time voting. That was in 2016 nice. was my first time voting because I had just become of age. What so I ride. wanted to make it count. I'm yeah. 25. I'm 25. So it was like. <laughs> yeah, 25. Wow. So 1998, you were born in 98? 97. Pretty... 97. Oh, I just did quick math. I'm turning 26 in July. So pretty Gotcha. Soon. Okay. Yeah. 97. I was in fourth grade coming up in the world, man, being out in these streets here in Jaffrey Ridge, New Hampshire. <laughs> Is this the mean streets? <laughs> the mean streets of SAU district 47, Jaffrey Ridge, New Hampshire. <laughs> God, that's wild, man. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing the, the experiences we have and the people we meet and the rooms you end up in. Um, you know, before we were rolling, we were talking about just getting into the room, knowing that you probably shouldn't be in that room. But once you get in there, you you act like you're there. You belong. There. I think one final point to that is you got to be in rooms that you know you're supposed to. The other people don't yet. You shouldn't be in rooms that you know you're not supposed to be in. If you're in a room that you feel uncomfortable in and you're like, I shouldn't be here, don't be in that room. That's uh, that's a Jeffrey Epstein cannibal room. (laughs) If you're on a private jet and you're going to a secret island and you don't know what's there, don't be on that private jet. When Bill Clinton comes out with flour all over his face, hey, guys, (laughs) hey, guys, we're going on a vacation. Grab a parachute and oh, hopefully you that. land on Fiji. Harrison Ford, that shit. Air Force won that shit. That plane. So <laughs> get off my plane. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about cocaine and cocaine smuggling, man. Look into when Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas, dude. Oh, try, I, I know about the in the 2016 years leading up to it, like 2014 to 2018. I was like, I would read everything. I was like the poly. I would just like. I learned everything, and that just it. You said black pills. That was what you called it. Yeah. It like black. I never heard that, but that's what happened. I just was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I learned too much. I learned too much. I'm done. Oh. Right? I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna yeah. be goofy. I, I like. I'm yeah. gonna be goofy. I'm gonna tell my jokes. I'm gonna talk Love to that. the people I want to talk to. Awesome. I'm gonna help as many people as I can with right. my podcast. Like. At the end of the day, my podcast is still a self-help podcast. I started talking to comedians about self-help, and that just happened to turn to rappers. And it's still, if you listen to it, it's me just talking about trying to better myself. Like, yeah, that's beautiful. And that's how I think I can help people. And I just don't think me learning about politics would have helped anybody. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> awesome, man. Well, you know, you're staying true to yourself, and it's your passion, and it's it's your vibe, and, and you do it really well. You know, it's... Uh, it's really cool what you're doing. Have you have you met Mike Jones yet? No, I have not met Mike Jones yet. I have so many mutual friends. Uh, <laughs> still, still to, to me, is my, is my favorite rap song. Oh, 100%. Full foes, I'm tipping. Wood grain, I'm gripping. Catch me lane, swishing with the paint, dripping. Turn your neck and Sam Buck is missing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're a better rapper than I am. I couldn't even do that. <laughs> Tipping on faux foes, wrapped in faux foes, <laughs> packing faux foes, and I'm back in. You got to remake the music video, yeah. the New Hampshire version of that music yeah, video. Yeah, we, we should we should collab and do that. Blowing on that endo, Gabe Cube Nintendo, five percent tint so you can't see up in Sam Buck's window. <laughs> I can't believe I remember those words, dude. That song blew up when I was in like junior year, senior year of high school. Swish a house, Mike yeah. Jones, Slim Thug, and uh, Paul Wall. It's Paul. I was Wall, just with baby. Paul Wall last week. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Paul Wall, baby. What you know about me? <laughs> he was. He's such a cool dude. He's a really nice dude. I enjoyed hanging out with him. There was a math teacher in my high school that my sister had. His name was Mr. Wall, and all the girls <laughs> called him Paul Wall. <laughs> he he did have grills, but that was yeah. Oh God, that's so good. Dude. Do you think a comedian could be taken seriously if he had grills and a chain? Fuck yeah. Why not? 
Yeah. Why not? You, I'm going to do it. <laughs> get some say, Sam, yeah, you, you got to get up there and do that, man. <laughs> yeah. do, the, the, the grill, <laughs> I already mumble enough. Yeah, the, the grill will just be a nice, a nice aesthetic. Uh, yeah, no. I'll look, sound man, like there, I'm auto-tuned. There's some rap that I, I really do like. Uh, have you met Immortal Technique? No, I have not. Not so yet. My brother and He's... I met met him um, 08 or 09 because he was big into 911. Mm, yeah, Obviously. he was like not the conspiracy rapper, but like. Well, he rapped. He rapped. You know, he'll rap. Dude rapped about serious geopolitical shit and did it in such yeah. a brilliant way. Um, yeah, we were at a, the same event he was at and got to say hi to him. And I was like, what do I call him? Mr. Immortal or Mr. Technique? Like, dude, I was definitely intimidated. <laughs> I was intimidated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was really nice, though. Uh, everyone, yeah. You're all really nice. It's like uh, if they say, like, don't meet your idols, you know, it's like, then pick better idols. I always say, like, yeah. why are your idols shitty people? Right. Why are your idols pieces of shit? Like, yeah. if you're, your idols should be people you idolize, they should be good people, well, you know? People you would bring to a family Christmas party and you'd be proud of it. Exactly. You know, Paul like, Wall is coming to my Easter next year. <laughs> it's coming to the fucked up Easter. It's Paul Wall, baby. What you know about me? Um, yeah, it'd be like, uh, Mom, this is Governor Jesse Ventura. He's going to be having Thanksgiving with us. Pass the turkey, please, Carol. Eric, <laughs> Eric, lay, Eric, lay off the gravy. That waistline's getting pretty big. <laughs> that waistline's almost as big as the Gulf of Tonkin. <laughs> you should you should try to get that to happen <laughs> get him out to thanksgiving <laughs> but yeah when i met jesse and, and sat down with him for my podcast um it lived up he lived up to kind of everything you know what i had built up in my head about him and um he was awesome and after after we after we were done and he was leaving i kind of walked him out i was like governor man i just i gotta i gotta tell you i've looked up to you and uh, you're one of my biggest inspirations in politics. And we did this. I gave him, I gave him a big bear hug, and he said, "I had a great time doing your podcast." You know, so that's amazing, and that shows that yeah. he is a good person to look up to. Yeah, yeah, he is. So it's uh, it's. Did he teach you any wrestling moves? So <laughs> I was in touch with his assistant before, like setting up the shoot and stuff, and I wanted, like, I pitched an idea to do like a little skit where. I'm doing my Ventura impression to somebody and then they're trying to tell me like, dude, don't do anything. He's right behind you. And I'll be like, Oh fuck. Jesse Ventura is right behind me. Isn't he? So then I turn around and then Ventura, like, you know, I would just have him body slam or do like a funny fake wrestling move. Um, but his assistant's like, it's a funny idea, but I don't think, I don't think he's going to want to go for that. So you should have brought it up on the podcast, dude. So this, this was 2016. I was kind of a little more, what's the word timid or not as secure. I mean, I was secure, but yeah, I, I would, I was too timid to do that, but now I would do that. I would just, <laughs> but while we're rolling, I'd be like, let's do this right now. We don't need to plan it. Let's spontaneously do that. So um, legendary. Yeah, funny. <laughs> well, awesome. Sam, well, we're coming up on uh, like an hour 15 here. Um, so you're doing the um, rogue Island. We get the yeah, I'm doing uh, I'm doing Rogue Island Comedy Festival Comedy in Fest. Newport, Rhode Island. Okay, and and you and you're performing on. I'm Monday performing the on 29th. Monday. I'm on okay. Monday the 29th. Um, see me at Top of Pelham, part of the Rogue Island Comedy Festival. 
I also am headlining the legendary Nick's Comedy Stop um, September 1st and 2nd. So if any in Boston, Massachusetts. So if you're in Boston, uh, that's where like Bill Burr started. Yeah. Like legendary club. So I'm headlining that the 1st and 2nd of September. Congratulations, man. That is, that's awesome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Look, I'm, like, I'm going to put that on my calendar right now, dude. Oh, thank you. That means a that's, lot. It's Memorial Day weekend, I think. So, right. And you're doing Friday and Saturday? Yeah, I'm doing two shows, Friday and Saturday. What time? Uh, Eight o'clock. Okay. And that's at Nick's? At Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston. That's right near I always want to be right? like, yeah, uh-huh. I always want to be like, that's where Burr started. That's where Louie started. And I'm like, oh, wait, that might turn some people off. <laughs> if, if it's Louie, bring They're not going to like my opening joke where I jerk off on the audience. <laughs> ah, I'll bring my raincoat. I saw. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's splash zone seats on the front oh, row. Incredible. Yeah, it's like SeaWorld. Um, I saw Laura Severs headline there. I'm pretty sure it was Nick's. Yeah, she's incredible. She's headlining oh. Rogue Island Comedy Festival this oh. weekend. I love Laura, the Dorchester debutante. Yeah, so if you want to see her, she'll be performing at Rogue Island, too. That's awesome. Same with Chris DiStefano, uh, Mike Cannon, Napoleon. That's a banger. There's some some epic... uh, Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And uh, there he is, Sam Buck. (laughs) And I wasn't even the smallest print. I I was just happy that there was a little... There's a little bit smaller print than me. That's all I can't tell. <laughs> Dude, we talk about climbing that ladder in that pyramid. You're working your way up to the top. Exactly. Exactly. We're going, we're going Noah, to the top with Hova. <laughs> Noah, Noah, they're gonna they're gonna think this is an Illuminati podcast. Illuminati yeah. Yeah. Remember when Jim Carrey went on Kimmel? He was like, <laughs> he's like Jimmy. You don't know what that is. <laughs> that was a that was such a funny clip. I love, Jim Carrey is a, a David Icke fan, which is not a sh- surprise. Obviously, not a surprise at all. Surprise. <laughs> no. Well, before we wrap, Sam, uh, if you just want to tell everybody where to find you and how to support you, and if they want to book you, uh, where do they go? Yeah, uh, sambuckcomedy.com or uh, Bucked Up Podcast with Sam Buck. If you look that up, really anywhere, Bucked Up Podcast. YouTube, Instagram, anywhere I'll show up. Awesome. So yeah, check it out. I do two episodes a week. Um, it's a great time if you want to hear me talk like I did today with rappers. <laughs> if you no. if you want to hear me unintelligibly shoot oh, shit out my ass no. for an hour about topics I am not read up on, then listen no, to the Buck Up podcast. Is, this is this is one of the best convos I've had on here, dude, and like ever. I've so I've so enjoyed this, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Man, thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed this. And uh, hopefully we do another show together soon. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. And uh, yeah, hang out with me after we end the live here. Um, All right, word. I'll end it. So everybody, thanks for tuning in. That's uh, Sam Buck. He's one of the best comedians in the game right now. He's always on the grind. He's hustling. He's meeting everybody. He's doing really interesting podcasts. And he's here to help and to entertain and to inform. And that's kind of at the core of what we do at Jackman Radio. We're here to entertain. We're here to inform. We're here to have fun and just enjoy this short go around that we have here called life. So thanks again, Sam. And thank you to everybody listening. If you want to support this podcast, please become a patron at patreon.com slash Jackman Radio, $10 a month. And that will keep us going and help us to continue to put together amazing projects and productions like the one we just did with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 
I hope everyone has a great day and a lovely weekend and be safe and take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time.